0: T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6,
1: 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, and liftoff. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Palmetto Guardian. I'm Sergeant Chelsea Weaver. And I'm Specialist Anna Grace Cato. And today we have a very, very special guest with us. Um, We have the Adjutant General... General Van McCarty, and I'm going to have him introduce himself, and then we're just going to go into our topic for today. So, sir, if you want to kind of briefly say hello to everybody.
0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'm uh, Major General Van McCarty, the 29th Adjutant General of the great state of South Carolina, and it certainly has been my pleasure and uh, really my honor to have had the opportunity now to serve as the Adjutant General for about five years, and I look forward to where the organization will continue to go into the future. We've had quite a bit of success we've been very busy over the last few years and all that though just means that uh, we need to be prepared to go uh, to where the future will take us and that's one of the things that we want to discuss here this afternoon
1: awesome well we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come talk with us Um, it's hard to believe that five years has already been gone that fast (laughs) it feels like it was just yesterday we were doing your change of command and all that so it's it's crazy how time flies by
0: it does. It, <laughs> does. it really has gone by very quickly. And, you know, when you look at all that we have done and certainly all the, the soldiers and airmen that we have deployed, knowing that the sacrifices that they make, the families make, uh, really uh, uh, points to that our, our National Guard is a, a, a ready, viable part of the nation's uh, defense and that what we do each and every day is important. What we do uh, as it relates to deployments is certainly important, but what we do in the homeland is uh, extremely important to us, and, and we must remain prepared and vigilant to be able to execute both missions.
1: Well said. <laughs> well, so today um, we're, we just hit the new year, 2024, so basically what we're trying to discuss is the top priorities for this year. So where do you kind of want to start with that
0: uh, each year, uh, as far as the command team, we look at uh, where we are as a as a state. We look at it from the perspective of what uh, the uh, priorities are as they, as they come down from National Guard Bureau and how they're nested in sync with what the Army is doing. And we publish guidance to help us work our yearly training plans and really looking at not just – a year out, but usually to about five years out, and just recently I signed some uh, guidance documents that helped address uh, where we want to go, not only this year, but in the next few years.
1: So I know one of those priorities um, is training, so can we kind of, is has there been a shift with training, or are we kind of continuing the way that things have been going throughout the years?
0: Well, I think we are fundamentally uh, having to make some shifts in how we look at our missions, how we look at our responsibilities, just simply based on where we are as a nation uh, as it relates to the responsibilities that we have globally. And we have been obviously involved um, in the coin fight uh, for the last 20-plus years, and as we have drawn down operations in both Afghanistan, Iraq, and other locations in the CENTCOM area of op- operations, we're now having to focus on what uh, is being termed as large-scale combat operations, LISCO. Uh, for some of the old troopers in the organization, it's uh, very reminiscent of where we were prior to 9-11, where we, as an Army, look to be able to, to operate and fight in, on multiple fronts, uh, against uh, enemies that would, could be considered near-peer or peer uh, competitors uh, to us. And as we look now at the world and look at the, the threats that are out there, we're going to have to shift, and we are shifting, from what those skill sets were to conduct coin operations to what they are uh, to be able to conduct effectively large-scale combat operations.
1: Now, one thing that um, I learned that I've never heard of is MDO, so multi-domain operations, can you kind of explain a little bit about what that is?
0: Yeah, if I could just uh, maybe uh, pause just a moment before okay. I go into that. Uh, I just want to reiterate to our, our, our team that um, really our purpose is, is twofold. And I say this from time to time because it has been something that has been said by uh, one of the past chiefs of staffs of the Army and what is currently really uh, under, underscores for what our missions are. And it's simply as a, as an army, and when I say an army, I'm talking about the active component, which is CompO One, uh, the Guard, which is CompO Two, and CompO Three, which is the Army Reserve. Although have uh, a very common uh, responsibility, and that is first to be prepared to fight and win the nation's wars, and then obviously to be able to fight and win the nation's wars when those situations require. And as we look at that, I think today we see. Uh, a world that is very complex. It is very is very much a changing world, uh, in great part just due to the rapid growth in technology. We see that in our lives on a day-to-day basis, and subsequently we see that same type of uh, technology uh, beginning to influence and have uh, an impact on the battlefield. So as we look at multi-domain operations, we look at it from a from a point of con- uh, from a point of reference of of um, we have certainly peer competitors now, near-peer competitors that are leveraging their, uh, their country's goals and objectives. They are partnering or looking to partner with other countries that are aligned with their uh, either socioeconomic or their political uh, and governmental uh, focuses. And as a, as a country like the United States, we have been historically aligned um, in Europe, especially with the North Atlantic Treaty Organization (NATO) countries, and those uh, countries today are, are very much a part of our strategic uh, strategy of maintaining peace in Europe. But as we look at the multi-multi domain operations, uh, it is really a lot encompassing. It is it is partly uh, relationship building, partnering. It is leveraging technology. It is looking at those uh, near and peer competitors, and Being able to uh, develop a force that is capable of of operating in a complex, diverse, and a very rapidly changing environment and doing so on a large-scale operations, back to that large-scale combat operations, or LISCO as it's referred to. So the the multi-domain operations, uh, and many may say, again, if you talk to some of the old-timers, it's how we used to do business, it's just been retitled. In some ways that is correct, but certainly the, uh, the rapid changes that we're seeing in technology especially is really forcing us to do things at a faster rate than what we have uh, had previously had to do, and that means that we uh, have to look at how we, um, how we start building the force from, the re- from recruiting our future warriors to training them uh, and then doing all the things that we have to have to have combat-capable forces.
1: So with that, does that kind of go into the four lines of effort, basically? I, it's, that's what it kind of sounds like?
0: It does. Um, you know, any organization or general, I would say most organizations try to align priorities based upon what their mission sets are. And for, again, the Army, um, we have a structured force that uh, has to work And operate somewhat in concert with other portions of that force. And as I mentioned earlier, your Compo One, Two, and Three, they all are semi independent, but they all support very common themes. And when it comes to preparing for uh, large scale combat operations, our active component, our Compo One, is heavily dependent upon both the Guard and Reserve for many of the combat enablers that we have. Uh, engineers, logistics folks, uh, transportation assets. So we have to be synced, or as we sometimes use the word, nested with their plans, with their priorities to ensure that we're all tracking along a general line of effort that gets us to an end state that has us prepared to be able to execute those missions. Um, Our current plan um, is really developed around, I guess, what... Uh, the current chief of staff of the Army has come in, General George, and laid out his priorities. Those priorities, again, are then uh, looked at, reviewed by National Guard Bureau, and then they send out guidance to the states and the, uh, the 54 states, territories, and the District of Columbia to align those, again, priorities. And, and right now, those primary areas are, as the, the chief of staff has said, a warfighting capability. And that goes back to the LISCO large-scale combat operations and to the multi-domain operations. Um, the second is to have ready combat formations. And I think uh, that has been a recurring theme. We talk about readiness in really all applications of what we do. But that is a priority of the current chief of staff It is the uh, of the Army. That's a priority of the chief of the National Guard Bureau, General Hokinson. Therefore, it logically is a priority of the South Carolina National Guard. And the third is uh, continuous transformation. And that topic has been discussed um, uh, fairly broadly. And I think the term continuous is probably a more appropriate way to look at it than just transformation. Um, We have to be an organization that's under continuous transformation under continuous uh, evolution of our utilizing technology and then of of training that reflects what the modern battlefield would look like. So uh, continuous transformation uh, versus just having we're going to modernize and have modernization done on this timeline is probably a relic of the past. Uh, We've got to leverage technology as technology comes out, and we've got to do a better job of leveraging the technology in a more expedient manner than what we have historically done. Uh, one of the, um, certainly, uh, advantages of uh, the free enterprise system, of, uh, of what American industry has historically brought, is ability to be innovative and to rapidly produce uh, products that are, are, um, are what the consumer wants. Um, And when you look at it from the application of what the consumer is, the consumer in this case would be uh, the military, our our soldiers, bottom line. And we've got to be able to, to be able to identify the technologies, to identify how we will apply those technologies, acquire those technologies, and then employ those technologies so that we can ensure that our soldiers, our airmen, and all of our servicemen and women have the best equipment and are best trained to meet those challenges around the world. Um, One of the others uh, in the last one uh, that's been identified is just strengthening the Army profession. And I think when we look at it, uh, it it really, I would say, underscores all the others, and that is the professionalism of the force. We're, uh, we're, um, uh, as we say, um, a, a force that is built on professionalism, we're built in great part on traditions and the lineage of the units that we serve with. But we're a profession of arms and goes what goes hand in hand that is good order and discipline. Um, you got to look to BART somewhat to be the part. And it goes to everything from just soldier individual readiness. And we uh, constantly are talking about that. We're constantly working to ensure that we have that. That is everything from medical readiness to your physical fitness readiness, whether it's the ACFT or some variant of that. It's uh, your proficiency with your weapon on your range qualifications. It's a whole list of things that go into soldier readiness. And then certainly uh, that would include being MOS qualified in the the particular uh, skill set that you have. But when we look at the profession of arms, it is about – sense of pride. It is about uh, being accountable, uh, first of all, to ourselves. You have to be accountable to yourself for doing the right thing. And then um, looking after uh, your fellow soldier left or right in your formation, setting a proper example, doing the right thing. And I think we all know that it's, uh, it's always good to be, quote, rewarded for positive actions. But an equal part to that is Holding people accountable when they don't do what they're supposed to do. So all that goes into strengthening the profession of arms, and without good order and discipline in your ranks, it's hard to achieve those other things that, that I discussed. That are the priorities of the chief of staff.
1: That's a lot, <laughs> but it's a lot of good information because <clears throat> I mean, um, I, you've been around for a very long time, sir. So you you were here, you were around when. Um, It was the old school guard, and you you did things a certain way. And now in this transitional period where, like you said, technology is growing so fast and having to adapt and overcome these different things and implementing new ways to do things, it's so different than it was um, back then. So with all these changes um, and the new priorities, where do you foresee the South Carolina National Guard progressing and being able to obtain these objectives?
0: Well, I think we always have to start with what is most our most important resource, and that is our people uh, when we when we look at the soldiers and I would extend this to the airmen that are part of the South Carolina National Guard, uh, they are the resource that ultimately allows us to accomplish what we're supposed to do. Um, I would just simply say and say that we make some assumptions that we are going to receive the equipment that we need, we are going to receive the funding to do the training that we need, but it really comes back down to the, the quality of the, of the soldier and the airman that we have in our ranks. And always that is going to be our most important line of effort is the people. And to that, um, we've got to have a cohesive, disciplined force that's capable of being able to be uh, mobilized both here in the states and overseas. And they have to be resilient. They have to be able to meet those challenges that come up in just normal day-to-day life. But in doing so, um, we're going to look at it from four lines of effort. First of all, as I already touched on, acquiring a talent, recruiting. And um, I often now when I have an opportunity to speak with, uh, with soldiers uh, in a group, you know, I'll ask, raise your hand if you're a recruiter. And I think the word has gotten out now what the answer is, but the answer should always have been we're all recruiters. Um, certainly there are those in our formation who have those identifiers as recruiters, but we all have to be recruiters. And, and it's one thing I think is unique to the Guard, many things that are unique, is that strength of your unit is really a unit command responsibility. And when I first assessed into the Guard off of active duty, that was a little bit of a change to me. I had come from the active component where uh, the Army uh, recruited on a national level. They they sent soldiers to basic and AIT, and then lo and behold, at Fort Stewart, the um, the door would open in the battery headquarters, and a handful of new soldiers would just magically appear. <laughs> um, it doesn't work that way quite in the Guard. It is our responsibility to recruit Our soldiers now. Once we recruit them, they are then sent to uh, the Fort Jacksons or other locations for their training and MOS. But recruiting is something that we're vested in 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 doing. And I would, um, I would, you know, just say to that end: if I'm a soldier, whether I'm an infantryman, I'm an artilleryman, or I'm a logistics person, who do I want to my left or right? Do I just want somebody off the street, or would I rather have somebody that I have known, trusted? and value their ability to do their job under the most, maybe some of the most stressful situations. So therefore, I would say that we're all recruiters. And so we got to recruit our talent, and we've got to then uh, develop that talent. That means you got to go to your schools. And the, the common saying that I've heard all of my career, and that's now a little over 41 years, is always stay at least one school ahead of where you're required to be. Now, that's a challenge, certainly at different phases of your career, but we've got to develop that talent. And that's not just in military uh, education. That's, in many cases, civilian education. We have today probably the most educated force that we've had in in my time of service. Uh, a lot of our young enlisted have uh, degrees. Many have multiple degrees. Other senior folks have master's degrees. We have soldiers that have doctorate degrees. We are a very educated force. And we have soldiers and airmen that have a lot of other skill sets that they acquire in their civilian application that we leverage and try to utilize. So we've got to develop that talent. Then we have to employ that talent, and that's important. Um, Some of that is fairly driven by just the the, the type unit and uh, the, the structure of that unit, there is a, a path of, of how you get to a certain point. But when you start talking about leadership at the unit, usually uh, the lieutenants and uh, the, the uh, first sergeants, there is a, a process that we go through, and certainly above that, of where we begin to try to ensure that talent is managed so that we can leverage their skill sets to – to take on the tough assignments, to develop the skill sets, to grow within the organization. So, employing that talent, managing that talent, is is very important. And the last thing uh, to that is to retain the talent. And you know, I've I've been around again quite a while, and I have seen various methods of of how do we retain people. And I've heard people say, well, we've got to um, we've got to treat them. Better. And I said, well, what do you mean by treat them better? Well, we don't need to uh, take them to the field when it's raining or cold because that's, that's not what they want to do. And, and to the contrary, I have found that soldiers want to soldier. So when you're looking to retain a soldier, you challenge them with meaningful, relevant training. And if it happens to be cold, if it happens to be raining, if you happen to be hot, That's just a condition that you have to be able to work under in any conditions. But to believe you're doing your soldiers a favor by uh, allowing them to just kind of hang around the drill hall, um, that is not the recipe to retain a soldier because most would say, if I'm not going to do anything today, I'll just, I'd assume to not do something at home or I would work overtime. And I would think very few of our Soldiers that come and stay are here simply for the money. It's, that's not the motive. That's not the drive. It is that they're doing something that they feel is contributing to, something bigger than themselves. Uh, it is something different that they can find some joy and pleasure out of. People like working as a team. And as um, growing up uh, in, in various activities, the last thing you wanted to ever do was let down the team. And I think part of that recipe goes into retaining talent is keeping people involved in meaningful, productive, and purpose-driven training. Don't make work for people. If you're making work, they see through that real quick. But I, I think the secret to success in us retaining people is give them something that they can be personally and professionally proud of what they do, that they feel like they're contributing to an organization that has a viable and relevant mission, that they get the opportunity to, to do things that, um, that they can go back to work on Monday or they can go back to work six months later or a year later because sometimes that's what it would be when they deploy and say, I really did something really unique and different, and it was a valuable service that was life-changing for me and uh, and very valuable to the nation. So all that goes into us building a force Training the force, developing the force, and retaining a force, and we have to be committed to that at all times.
1: So, with all of this, with all of these new priorities and these lines of efforts and everything, um, can we go a little bit more, a little bit deeper into the readiness side of it?
0: Yeah, readiness uh, on the on the bigger scale is is driven again by a complex. Uh, look at what the requirements of the Army are worldwide. Uh, when they look at those um, requirements, then they look to source units that are capable of supporting, meeting those objectives. Uh, hence, when we get our, our NOS' notice of uh, sourcing for deployments, those are programmed generally at least a year out. So when we look at uh, readiness, when we look at it, uh, we generally look at that in a window of five years where, and I would start uh, in what we call a reset year. That's when you have just finished up some major event. Now you're back at your home station in what we call a reset mode. You know, you're going to have people generally that are either going to ETS due to, it's a retirement time. Their ETS date is there and they are going to lead the service. That's a natural part of the process. And we Although we need to retain soldiers, we know there is a, a natural flow of, 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 of those that we assess in and those that flow out. That's just part of it. But in that reset year, uh, that unit then begins to build on what the plan is for the next five years. That, and, and it goes great to also align funding with those priorities. Unless a unit is scheduled for a deployment or a, a CTC, a combat training center type rotation, the National Training Center or JRTC at, um, in uh, Louisiana, we are funded at the platoon level and below. So that means that a company commander that um, is working to plan their training plan for the next two to three years, really has to be aligned knowing what those aim points are on what National Guard Bureau has given us for that one- to five-year window. And then planning that training to grow your capacity during that period of time. Always, again, focusing on the individual skills that are necessary for a soldier to be a combat-ready asset. Then you work to, to the squad level and developing squad operations and you know, a lot of times we simply go to an infantry squad because it is kind of the the base piece of a, of a combat formation but uh, that commander has got developed training with his uh, platoon leaders platoon sergeants that ensure that that soldier in that squad is fully trained on the mission sets that their unit is aligned to perform And then you take that squad uh, approach and then you incorporate it into a platoon level. And for those first several years of that one to five years, that's what you're funded at. And when we deviate from that, we're either not trained to the level we should be or um, we're touching into things that we don't necessarily uh, have a responsibility of being prepared for and therefore possibly wasting resources that could be or should be used elsewhere. So as we look at that continuum, and a commander uh, is uh, is briefed on that at the company level, the battalion level, the MSC level, brigade level, and as they develop their plans, they scope that to maybe a combination of home station drills, drills at a uh, facility like Fort, uh, Fort Jackson, Fort Stewart, Fort Liberty, all based on the requirements, meeting tables for gunnery, uh, meeting tables for you know all the things that are necessary to make yourself ready for that next window in the box. And you may or may not have a deployment. You may or may not have a, an NTC or a CTC-type rotation, but you are trained, ready to get there. So it's a continuum of, of, of a window of time of one to five years so that usually overlaps two commanders. So those commanders have to be synced and have to be uh, focus-driven on ensuring that their unit is ready at the time in which they are to execute the, the, the missions that they're supposed to be able to execute. And then, oh, by the way, in the Guard, we always have that other uh, re- responsibility of being able to perform state active duty in times of, uh, of uh, either inclement weather, hurricanes, winter storms, or other things that we perform. So a commander has to balance that in generally in that five year window, knowing that they're only going to be there probably for about half of that period of time.
1: Do you have any advice for those who, um, like anybody, company commanders, battalion commanders, first sergeants, I mean, even just any soldiers, based off of all of these new priorities and with readiness and training and all that do you have any advice for these changes that are coming for those i would
0: i would a simple recommendation that uh that i've been told and i try to practice myself is be a dedicated lifelong learner and part of that is be a reader there are a lot of, of books there are a lot of periodicals there are a lot of professional journals that talk about uh, large-scale combat operations, to st- talk about uh, multi-domain operations that, that, that look at those issues, and that's beyond the normal FMs that we have, field manuals that give us actual doctrine. But to, um, to be a, a student at, of your profession, and that can be at all levels, and it needs to be at all levels. So I would recommend to our younger soldiers, certainly to our younger leaders, be a committed pro- professional, but a dedicated lifelong learner. And so, if you are able to do that, you're able to articulate knowledge better because you're relevant with it, and then you're able to be um, a, a leader that people can have trust and confidence in that they know their they know their craft and. You know, that saying is, it's not how much you know that people want to kind of read. It's how much they know you care about them. So combining your knowledge with your care and your concern of your soldiers allows you to be that fundamentally uh, relevant officer, senior NCO, that can make positive things happen in a formation.
1: Did you have anything else, sir?
0: Uh, Well, I just always like to... uh, to point out that our guard is a guard family. Uh, nothing that we do is really uh, centered just on us as the soldier, just on us as an airman. And a lot of times uh, we ask um, our families, our spouses, our significant others, our children, to um, to sacrifice quite a bit in themselves. You know, for us, we raised our right hand, we took an oath, and from that we're kind of obligated to honor and fulfill that oath. But to our our, again, our families, they're just kind of brought into that. But we do ask a lot of them. And, you know, over the last now 20 years, we have, uh, have asked our soldiers and our airmen to do some pretty difficult jobs. And we've asked them to do it under conditions that really create uh, sacrifice for the entire family. And so I always like to, uh, to recognize the importance of our spouses, our significant others, and our children for what sacrifice they've made and always like to point out that we can't do what we do as an individual. We have to be a a part of a nested team and it, it it includes and obviously we have a number of younger soldiers that may not have families, but almost to an extension of it, their guard brothers and sisters can become a family to them. So Always like to point out just the importance and the significance of our families. And the other thing is, uh, about 80% of our Army Guard are what we call traditional M day soldiers. Uh, they have other jobs Monday through Friday or whatever else, uh, many on work weekends also. So we have to have the support of our employers. And I, you know, we don't ever want to take for granted that employers don't also have to sacrifice. Your larger companies may have the ability when a soldier or an airman deploys to make it up fairly easily, but to a small company, a small mom-and-pop operation, as we sometimes say, it's a real sacrifice to them because they just don't have the ability to go out and hire a new employee. And then, oh, by the way, we have a number of our folks that run their own businesses. So when we ask them to go and give a weekend, two weeks, or a deployment that may be as much as a year, We're asking a lot of our employers also. So all in all, for us as a Guard family to achieve the goals that we have, and as I started with my comment said, it's really basically pretty simple. We are there to be prepared to fight and win our nation's wars and then to fight and win our nation's wars. But a lot is between those two that we have to do to ensure that we are ready for that. And... We should never um, just ignore the the simple things that are necessary to make all that happen. So my thanks to the team. Uh, We're new into the new year. And to those I haven't had a chance to speak with, happy new year. And I just am excited about the the opportunities and challenges that we have ahead of us. And I just look forward to continue to see the great things that our soldiers and airmen uh, are able to accomplish And uh, to our soldiers and airmen who are currently deployed, my thoughts and prayers go out to them and their families for their safe return. And, again, as always, to the organization as a whole, thank you.
1: Awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming in, sir. Um, One thing I did want to ask before we close out is you were saying how this uh, new plan that's being put in place and the new priorities, it's a five-year planning Process? Do you foresee yourself being around for the next five years to partake in this change and to see it develop? Uh,
0: I hope to be around. (laughs) I will just be around in a different, uh, (laughs) a different setting at that time. No, um, I have I've had a very uh, lengthy and very blessed career, and I am, uh, as uh, they would say, in the twilight of my time in uniform. But I hope to always be, as many of our retirees are, actively involved in the organization in a meaningful way. Uh, not that I'm saying goodbye here today. <laughs> that's not the case. But, no, and that's that's really how an organization like the Army is. Um, you're committed an, to run through the finish line, not run up to the finish line. So I am here to run through the finish line as hard as I can because I have a responsibility to ensure that America's sons and daughters are are well-trained, equipped, and prepared for their missions. And I look forward to that as long as I'm in uniform. And then after that, I will continue to be a supporter of of those who serve this great nation and this great state.
1: Awesome. Well said, sir. Well, thank you again. We. St- Totally appreciate you taking the time out of your day. We know that you're always so busy, so it's great to have you in and have this conversation and to put this information out to all the service members um, just so that they can learn about changes and all the stuff that's going on and they don't feel like they're left out because it it is difficult whenever you're a traditional M-Day soldier to get all the information. So we try to compile that all into one location, and this is the best way for us to do that. So thank you for taking the time to come and talk with us.
0: Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: All right. If you guys like this video, make sure you give it a big thumbs up. If you haven't subscribed to our channel, make sure you hit the subscribe button and we will catch you guys in the next episode.